If she knew what I knew, she wouldn't have popped her horn at me. I was pulled into a parking spot, and I was driving a Prius, which means you can park the thing just about anywhere, and she was following at a normal distance, but it was a spot that was between a number of other cars, and so you couldn't see the entire spot until I was about a third of the way into the spot, and as I turned the car into the parking spot, and it was about a third of the way in, I noticed that the snow plows had destroyed the curbing, and the curbing was halfway into the parking spot. Now, if I was in the truck, that wouldn't have been a big deal. It, it easily would have cleared the curbing. But in the Prius, you, you know, you hit the curbs without even thinking about it. So I, I stopped, and then I put on my reverse lights, and that's when she beeped at me. Like I was choosy about, ah, you know, I thought I wanted to park here, but no, I didn't really want to park here. And so I backed out of the spot. Thankfully, she left me room to do that. And then I went down a few more spots and parked, and I was irritated. I didn't know if it was a man or a woman, so you kind of have to gauge your irritation, you know, a little bit. So I got out of the car, but I did the look back just to see if I could make eye contact. Did one of these numbers. I made eye contact with her immediately. She started apologizing. She basically said, if I had known what you had known, I wouldn't have beeped at you. And, you know, I'm sorry about that. I, I said, it's no big deal. I, I cried. I had a moment. I talked to my wife. I, I sorted out my feelings, they were good, but I appreciate the apology. If she had known what I knew, if she had my perspective, she would not have honked at me. What's fascinating is we're kind of left with a cliffhanger scenario at Easter time because one of the things that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that Jesus was talking to his disciples during the first Passover meal on Monday, Thursday, on Thursday night. And he says this, I'm going away, and you can't come with me. And Peter says this, the different gospel authors record different things that Peter said, but they all amounted to this, Lord, others may fall away from you, others may not follow you, but even if I have to die for you, I'd be willing to do that. And the Gospel of John records that Jesus looked at Peter and said, would you really, would you really be willing to die for me? And then they go to Gethsemane and the olive, Mount of Olives, and Jesus is betrayed and he's crucified. And there's this tension in the gospel narrative. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't touch it. They, they, they focus on the tomb and the guards and Jesus is alive and he showed up and he appeared before the disciples. And we have the episode with Doubting Thomas, place your hand in my side and blessed are you who believe without seeing. That's where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, leave it. John goes there. John chapter 21, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, in my mind, I have it labeled, Breakfast on the Beach. And it's what happens to Peter. Because he's the chief of the apostles, right? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you're Catholic, that means one thing to you. If you're Protestant, it means another. But the bottom line is, he's an authority in the early church. But he betrayed Jesus three times. Even though he just got done using his words, saying, I'll never betray you. In fact, I'll die for you. And yet, he betrayed Jesus. So John picks up the story, and we're going to follow along this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 1, and kind of read our way through the first 17 verses or so of John chapter 21. And, and the sermon is almost one of those sermons that's going to kind of preach itself. 
So beginning in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, this is the context. After this, basically John had concluded his gospel, but he has this ending story, the story after the story. It's like when the movie is over and the credits have rolled, you know better than to leave. There's still something that we need to talk about. That's John chapter 21. That's just happening right now. It's called Breakfast on the Beach. After this, the movie's over. Jesus is back from the dead. Yay! Jesus reveals himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. John is a little weird. Uh, we know that John uh, recorded things that the other disciples did not. That's why it's not referred to as a synoptic or a same gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of common themes. John does his own thing. One of those own things that John does is he calls the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberias. In fact, this picture behind you is a picture of the Sea of Galilee, which John calls the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Here's the disciples' problem. Peter is the leader. Peter is the one that stood up and said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I would even die for you. And Jesus throws the question back in his face and it's unresolved, dot, dot, dot. We're waiting to see what actually happens to the leader and why it's a problem for the disciples is because if somebody else steps up right now and takes pole position, then everybody's acknowledging that, that Jesus is done with Peter, that Peter's out, that because of his bad day, his bad moment, during that first communion supper, he's, he's not the lead guy anymore. Is he even one of the guys at all? And so all the uh, disciples, they're not quite ready to make that decision yet. You know, they're not really sure what's going to happen with that. So when Peter says, I'm going fishing, which was his stock and trade, I'm going to go earn some money. I'm going to go spend some time because they fished through the night. I need something to do. The disciples are like, okay, good. We're still following you. We're still good with you because none of us are ready to mount a coup yet amongst the apostles, amongst the disciples. There's, there's tension amongst the leadership of the apostles and the, and the pre-foundation of the early church. And, and what's funny is no, no other gospel touches this. No other gospel resolves this. just leaves that tension. But John goes there. It's a beautiful passage. Continuing in verse 4, When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It was dark. Men, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? <laughs> no, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, John is speaking of himself here, said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's worthy to note this morning that there are a few things in this encounter that Jesus has with Peter to begin to resolve this tension, that there's a few things that Jesus does not do, which were the kinds of things that flashed through my mind just this past week when I got the unmerited honking. Uh, the first thing that Jesus did not do is there was no lecture. You will not find a lecture or a sermon in this chapter. Jesus did not browbeat Peter. He did not remind Peter of his mistake. He didn't really even refer to it at all. There was no sermon. And, you know, I know that I'm the pastor here, and, and I do like preaching. I like preaching at home, too. Are you telling me right now that blah, 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 blah? I love doing that. Uh, 
That's awful. They already know blah, 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 blah. This is me just venting my spleen because it feels good. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only preacher here, right? There's other people here that can preach. If I have to tell you one more time, I'm going to love to preach. Jesus didn't preach at Peter. There was no reminding him of what was going on here. There's a miraculous provision. Bottom line, the 153 miraculous large fish, which the text is going to tell us here in a moment, it's financial provision for Peter and his family. This is Jesus saying, I got you. Without saying a word. Hey, Peter, I got you. You worry about a lot of things. You worry about if you're still my boy. You worry about if you're still the chief apostle. Am I still the rock upon which the kingdom and the church is established? Doesn't say a word. No lecture, no sermon. Just miraculous provision. I got you. That's what the fish represent. 153 large fish. Take care of your family, buddy. I've got you. It's powerful. Continuing in verse 9. So Jesus doesn't lecture. He provides. It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garments around him, for he was stripped and plunged into the sea. During that time, uh, men wore two garments, an inner garment and an outer garment. And when they would work, they would literally take off their outer garment, which is like a cloak, and gird their loins, which is kind of, you know, tuck up the robe into their belt so that they can move freely. That's what the text is referring to, is that he was stripped for work, he had his inner garment on, uh, but he knows that he's going to meet his master. He goes that he's going to meet his Lord, and that's not how you show up. And so it sounds weird that he put his clothes back on and then jump in the water. It's so that when he got out of the water, he'd be fully clothed and not half naked. Uh, I know that's kind of foreign for our culture because we're so comfortable with people walking around in their work clothes. But every mission trip I've ever been on, uh, whether it's the Kenyans or the Tanzanians or the Haitians or the Dominicans or the Venezuelans or the Romanians or the Mongolians or the Filipinos, they all do the same thing. When you come to the site in the day, they look like they're dressed for church. And then they take their little Walmart plastic sack and they go around the corner of the show or the, the pit potty and they change into their work clothes and they come out looking like bones. Their clothes are all, you know, work stained and sweaty. And then at the end of the day, they get a little bowl of water and they go back behind the show or the pit potty or the outhouse or the tree or whatever it is we're using. And they wash themselves up as best as they can and they put their dirty clothes back in their bags because they would never be seen walking home from a work site in anything other than what you and I would consider dress clothes, a collared shirt, trousers, maybe even a suit coat. I know that sounds bizarre, but these guys work out in the heat all day long, and they come dressed for work, looking sharp, and that's how they lead, too. That's the same culture here in the first century church, that you wouldn't show up before your boss in, in, your, in your work clothes. So uh, that's what's going on here in the text. He plunged into the sea, fully clothed. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. 
So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Something else that Jesus didn't do, uh, he didn't get angry. So there was no sermon, there was no lecture, there was no yelling, there was no reminding of past mistakes. He was also not mad. He was not passive-aggressive. As much as I like to preach, you know what else I like to do? I like to mope silently and just walk around moping. And if someone asks me something, I either pretend I didn't hear them or I just look at them and try to shrivel their soul. Or I'll go for a walk. I remove myself emotionally. I'm mad. I'm angry. I know that if I start to talk, then I'm going to preach. And I don't want to preach. But even though my mom brought me to church when I was a boy, I'm still a pagan. So sometimes I just keep my mouth shut. But I don't do it nicely. I do it meanly. I do it with anger. And everybody knows that they're in trouble with me because I'm mad. And this is me being mad quietly. And you can talk if you want to, but I'm not going to talk back to you. And again, I know we got some preachers in here, but we also got some people like that, too. Silent treatment. I'm angry. You do not deserve my words or my attention. Jesus got up early that morning and got a fire going. If you know anything about a charcoal fire, guys, if you're going to grill on the grill, you have to put the charcoal in the chimney, right? A good 20 or 30 minutes before you're ready to cook. When the flames start shooting out the top, then the charcoal is ready, right? Then you put the charcoal in the grill, and you preheat that grill up, because if you don't, then the steak or the hamburgers or the hot dogs are going to stick to it. It's a good 30 minutes before you're actually ready to cook. There was a charcoal fire on the beach with fish and bread. Jesus had been there for at least 30 to 60 minutes. He could hear his boys plish-ploshing out on Lake Tiberias. Fishing, but not fishing, because there were no fish involved. So what is that? Getting the nets wet, I guess. He could hear this, and it's in the dark. They don't, know, they don't even know he's there. Maybe they start to see a fire being built on the shore, but they don't think anything of it. But he's there. He's not angry. He's early. And he's making breakfast. Can you imagine the next time you're in trouble with somebody? Oh my goodness, this is so powerful. This is the context for the conversation that we've been waiting for since John chapter 13, when Peter says, I would die for you. And Jesus said, would you die for me? Continuing in the text, verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, you can imagine Peter like, for the love of God, I mean, really, for the love of God, Jesus, can we just have this conversation? Here we go. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's an interesting question. He might be asking Peter, do you love me more than my other disciples love me? There's a couple of different ways to take this question, but the bottom line is it's a, it's a question of Peter's love for Jesus. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. 
Feed my lambs, he told him. And Jesus doesn't mean sheep here, right? He's talking about people, lambs or sheep, or goats are some of his favorite metaphors or analogies regarding the church, people. Feed my lambs. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. Shepherding is, is similar to the word husband. It's kind of like the job that Adam had at the beginning of the world. Garden and till and prune and cut and plant and harvest and take care. It's a lot more than just feeding. Uh, this word that's translated shepherd is also the same word that is used later in the New Testament and is translated pastor. It's the same word. Uh, pastors are shepherds. It's the same Greek word. There's no delineation between those two words. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And then Jesus drops another prophecy on Peter. The, the third thing that Jesus did not do, he wasn't, he didn't lecture Peter. He, did, he wasn't angry with Peter and he did not ignore Peter. It was time to have the conversation. Jesus had set the stage by saying, I got you, okay? I got you. 153 miraculous large fish weighed about 300 pounds. I got you. This is going to feed your family for a while because I'm about ready to drop something on you, and I want you to know that your family is going to be provided for. I got you. He did that without a word. And then again, without any words, he fed him breakfast to show that I'm not angry. I'm early. I'm here. Unintentional for you. And then finally, when it comes time for the conversation, he did not ignore Peter. Instead, he confirmed Peter's calling. And it's pretty obvious from the text, if you're familiar with John chapter 13, that Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny Jesus three times, which he did, sitting in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. A servant girl came and talked to him. Some of the guards came and talked to him. Some of the bystanders came and talked to him and said, Hey, you've got a funny accent. You talk like you're from Galilee. Aren't you with this guy? Aren't you one of his guys? Don't you follow this guy? And Peter, with cursing, three times denied that he knew who Jesus was. And then that stupid rooster. It's the trigger, right? It's the reminder of what's going on. Reality. Jesus said, I would do this three times before that stupid rooster. And then it says that Peter, weeping, fled the scene. And he's not a part of the scene in any of the other Gospels until he runs to the tomb, hoping to be reconciled. But Jesus is not there. This is his reconciliation. John chapter 21. So because he denied Jesus three times, I will die for you, except he won't even acknowledge him three times. This is why Jesus asked him three times. So a three-time, a three-fold denial, and Jesus gives Peter three chances to affirm that that was a mistake. That was a bad day. That he was scared. That he didn't fully appreciate what was going on. And you see, Peter was full of himself and the love that he had for the Lord, but that didn't carry him through the dark night. Peter's about ready to realize something that will carry him through the dark night, which is Jesus' love for him. Peter's love for Jesus did not carry him through the dark night. But between I got you and here's breakfast and do you love me three times in a row, Peter is beginning to understand that it's really kind of about Jesus' love for him. Now I'll die for you. And he does. In a number of different ways. We'll talk about that here in a second. 
And then finally, there's a threefold confirmation of Peter's calling. Feed my sheep, shepherd my lambs, take care of my sheep. He's saying, Peter, lead my people. Serve my people. Preach to my people. Die for my people. Pastor my people. Three times he confirms his calling. You see, the greatest expression of Peter's love for Jesus was to be expressed by his care for the church. You love me, Peter? You want to die for me? That's cool. Die for my people. That's what I did. Serve my people. Die every week for my people in ministry and in service. Find a way to feed my people regularly, even if it costs you sacrifice, even if it's difficult times. You will have a chance to die for me, Peter, and he does. That's what the prophecy is about that John concludes his gospel with. Historian named Tacitus tells us that Peter was uh, crucified, but not deigning himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. He said, turn that cross upside down, do it that way instead. It's not recorded in the scripture, but it's recorded in history that Peter did end up dying for Jesus. But he died many deaths before then in service to the church. Because Peter was told by Jesus, you want to show your love for me, serve my people well. And if you want to know what it means to serve Jesus well in a context of difficult times and suffering, read First and Second Peter. Because that's what he writes about. That Peter not only died for Jesus once, but he died for him regularly as he gave his life to serve the church and lead the church the foundation of the church was established by the Apostle Peter. As we wrap up our time together this morning, just a couple of concluding thoughts, and one thought actually and a challenge. We love to we love to read about Peter because he's a chucklehead and he's impulsive and he does things that make us feel good about ourselves, like yelling at Jesus and saying he's going to be Captain Amazing and then he's terrible. Uh, and he kind of makes a group out of himself, and we love to, to rip on him. But in a moment, I want to share one thing that he gets really right in John chapter 21, and that'll be our final call, our final challenge, our final point of application this morning. Before I get there, what more could have Jesus done to, to make things right with Peter? Because if it was me, I would have yelled at him real good, then I would have given him the silent treatment, and then I would have ignored him and assigned tasks to other disciples for a while, to help him realize that I'm the boss, and you ain't, and you better treat me right. Don't you honk at me. If you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be honking at me right now. Honker. Jesus didn't lecture, he didn't give him the silent treatment, and he didn't ignore him by giving ministry tasks to the other disciples. He said, I got you. Let me make you breakfast. Now have a conversation. Let me give you a chance to make it right three times. And in the process of making it right three times in a row, let me give you a calling three times. Yes, Peter, you will die for me, and I appreciate that. But first, live a life dying for my people. Serve them faithfully. And so, I mean, that's the big challenge, right? That's the big challenge for all of us is finding our role in ministry, finding a way to die to ourselves and see Jesus come alive in others, right? That's that's a, that's, that's a common theme in the New Testament that Peter exemplifies, but here's the one thing that he did right. The first time he heard that Jesus was on the shore, he plunged in the right direction. He plunged in the right direction. 
And I find that so convicting, and I find it so encouraging, and I find it so challenging. Because in times when we're having a hard time with someone, especially with the Lord, we like to plunge in the wrong direction. We like to plunge into work. We like to plunge into our family. We like to plunge into community activities. We love to plunge into things that will get us the applause and the affirmation of our peer group. But what we're actually doing is avoiding handling business with our Lord and Savior. So many directions. We love to plunge into our entertainment. We love to plunge into our habits. We love to plunge into our hobbies. We love to plunge into our books or plunge into the internet. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things because the Lord calls us to engage the world and to share the gospel. So we're supposed to be spending time there, but Peter plunges in the right direction. Nothing. Not a hundred yards swim. Not the nasty thoughts that my disciples are thinking about me right now because there's one less man to row this boat to shore. Not my fear of what Jesus may or may not say or do to me when I do get to the shore. Is he going to laugh at me? Is he going to yell at me? Is he going to be angry at me? Is he going to ignore me? Peter plunged in the right direction. And so that's the challenge this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for 947 years. And you realize this morning, taking a look, that Jesus deserves some more of your time. He deserves some more of your attention because there's a calling on your life. He's got you. He's got you. He does. He's going to provide for you. And he's going to continue to pour into you as you serve. And of course, not just at River Church, but in your family, in your marriage, with your children, workplace, as we give, we are resourced, right? This is one of the primary teachings of the New Testament. For some of you this morning, maybe you've never plunged in the right direction. You've been plunging all over the place, but you haven't plunged towards God. You haven't plunged towards faith. And you've got about 18 reasons why you haven't. And I'm not saying they aren't valid reasons. I'm saying I don't care. Plunge in the right direction. Peter had a bunch of reasons to not jump off of that boat and swim towards Jesus, but he did. This guy that we love to make fun of because sometimes he's an odd duck. Well, I tell you what, he got it right that time, didn't he? He plunged in the right direction. Here's what that looks like. It's a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I have never given you my full attention. I have never been reconciled to you. There is stuff between us. In fact, I'm mad at you. I understand that I'm a sinner and maybe you're mad at me, but hey, buddy, there's two sides of that equation. I'm not real happy with you either plunge in the right direction. Regardless of my reasons for not giving my time and attention or my faith to Jesus Christ, I understand that since I plunge everywhere else, it's time for me to plunge in faith. And so, Heavenly Father, even though I'm a little upset with you and maybe I don't deserve your kindness, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to swim towards Him, knowing that He has provided. He's got me. And Lord, we're going to work out our differences. In Jesus' name, be a good place for some of us this morning. We're going to wrap up our time together here by singing a final song of worship and praise to our Lord in your heart to plunge. Right? Take a step of faith because he's got you. It's the power of the post-resurrection. It's the story that nobody wanted to tell. I'm so grateful that John did. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to not be done with Easter yet. 
says, yeah, a lot of questions were answered when you burst forth out of that tomb. But Peter still was in a place where he needed some time. Father, thank you for this story that we have here. It's so powerful. It encourages us. It motivates us. And Father, most of all, I pray that we would take a step of faith this morning, that we would plunge towards you with our doubts, with our concerns, with our anger, with our irritations, with our fears, with our concerns, everything, fully clothed, fully committed, plunge towards you, knowing, Father, through the power of your word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the sweet fellowship of the saints, but most of all, the love that you have for each and every one of us, you're going to make it real. We ask these things in Jesus' name.